This is the ID Fanatic Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. The podcast where we used to talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they put it all together. But that was last season. This season, we talked to innovators who were trying to push the needle of ID into the 21st century, using everything at their disposal from AI to neuroscience to old-fashioned flashcards. Are they gimmicks? Will they last? Or will they go the way of the video desk? We'll see. But on the way, get ready to get hot and heavy about things like wobble boards, internal audio loops, and backprop. My first guest is kind of a pioneer. He couldn't wait for AI to bring in an age of personalized learning, so he jumped the gun using the tools at hand, including layered slides and an unlimited supply of variables to create something he calls Learner Intelligence, which he promotes on his website, learnerintelligence.org. There you can find loads of free blogs on the subject, and you can even steal, I mean, download his code. He's been doing this for his followers and for the company he works for for 15 years. Why? Because he's a hell of a guy. So without further ado, let's listen in to my candid conversation with Dominique Kaloya of Palm Beach, Florida. Of Palm Beach, of Palm Beach, Florida. <laughs> Not Palm Springs, Palm Beach, sorry. So I was looking at your background. You started off in IT, it looks like, and then you went from into technology training and then into sales training and then uh, continued in there. Is that sort of your development? Yes, that that is pretty accurate. And while I was doing technology training, I was coming up with the content. I ran the classes. This was live classes. Um, looking at the future, thinking, you know, we've got to put this online. And my company didn't agree with me. So when I went in and put in for, for vacation time, they said to me, isn't that the same time as that conference you wanted to go to? I go, yes, it is. I'm going. <laughs> so I paid my own dime, went to my first e-learning conference and, you know, started dabbling. But What's really interesting is coming from a classroom instructor. And when I say classroom, I don't mean public education. I'm yeah. as, a, as a corporate trainer, yeah. face-to-face with my learners, having that kind of experience. Yeah. When I started developing online learning, yeah. I was looking for that holy grail. Yeah. It's how can I make online learning as... Responsive. Because in the classroom... Well, no? Yeah, well, pretty much as, as effective. And that which led me to start thinking is what makes me so effective in the classroom yeah. that I can't do online. So this is going back to the early 2000s, I would say. And internet bandwidth wasn't what it was. Yeah, and yeah. development tools aren't what they are today. And as bandwidth picked up a little bit and... Storyline came out with layers. Yeah. I go, wow. And variables. Yeah. And variables, because a lot of the authoring systems didn't even have variables. Right. So I actually and created the, you know what? The early authoring systems, because I'm I'm I've been at it longer, I'm older than <laughs> you, I think. 
<laughs> the earlier authoring systems, you know, uh, they had asterisks. They had wildcard characters. So you could put in uh, fill in the blank answers and you could cover a wide range of things because you just stick in, stick in a wildcard and you could account for, you know, you could have the first three letters of the word and then just hit a, put an asterisk and it would cover everything. Right. And like since those early days, I haven't really seen any authoring systems that are offering that anymore. No. Storyline now, or I'm working in Rise now, and they let you put in 10 different answers. But that's it. You, there's no wild cards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but I think coming from your background, you have an understanding of variables, what they are and how they can be used. Yes. That is, you know, that a programmer sort of knows about that other people who are coming into authoring systems, you know, without that background don't really know. And so when I look at the stuff that you're doing in terms of trying to personalize training and, and uh, you know, track user activities and then do something based on that, uh, I think maybe that's the difference because a lot of people, that whole idea of variables and tracking and branching based on that is, is kind of new to them. It isn't the first thing they see when they look at an authoring system. Right. And, and my approach, considering my background, is different from a lot of the solutions that we're seeing come out now. Yeah. So, so now it's, okay, how can we personalize training? And we've got this new tool set called the AI. How can we use that? And from that approach, you're looking at the overall learning experience and they're coming up with a lot of different ways of presenting learning paths. Whereas my approach is I started out inside the classroom and I'm thinking, how can I recreate that type of adaptability, that type of flexibility, that kind of personalization? Because as an instructor, as a good instructor, as many good instructors out there know, your task is to observe your learning audience. And if you see people not getting it, you have to down, downsize to the least common denominator for those that aren't getting it. And then you have to throw in some advanced material for the ones that are looking up at the ceiling, like I got it on your third word and yeah. now you're totally boring me. I don't need the full explanation. I got this right away. Then you have to challenge them a little bit to, to include all different levels of learning. And as a good instructor, I was able to do that. And how can I do that asynchronously? And when I figured that out, initially with Storyline, it's like, wow, this is fantastic. <laughs> and you did that using layers and then revealing one or the other layer but depend on previously variables that were, that were triggered, right? Correct. And to some instructional designer that may be listening, if they may be thinking, oh, well, click and reveal, what's the big deal? That's old school. That's been around for a long time. But the thing is, when what I do is when they select something, let's say they, you're dealing with, with learners that are beginning, intermediate, and advanced. So the default may be you start out in an intermediate fashion. Now you click on advanced because you're a hot stuff and you think you know better. The, the learning gets a little more difficult. What happens when you press the next button? Well, you know, you get advanced material. It remembers your last selection and as, as you go through the course. And yet at any time you can switch. So it's not just a pretest. it's not just branching. It's not just saying, well, I wanna to switch to advanced level and then you're stuck in it. You're, you're never stuck. 
you could always you're, you could always move fluidly as your needs change yeah. to less information, more information, back to middle of the road, and so on and so forth. So does that show up in the information screens or just in the question screens? The differential. In, it, it's actually in, in the information. It's in, it's in the learning content. The learner can manipulate the learning content as per their needs or wants. So you'll have three screens, or three layers for every screen in your course? Yes. Oh. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> That's a lot of work. It, it, it sounds like and yeah, it. Not, not only is it a lot of work, but you have to make a, a judgment call all the time about what is the easy explanation, what's the medium explanation, what's the hard explanation, or what's the, you know, what's the easy, hard, and medium content for this particular screen. I mean, I mean a lot of people would sort of say that, okay, I'm just going to use a simple text, you know, eighth grade or whatever, and make it all easy or all medium and sort of achieve the same result. Yeah, when you, when you do that, you run the risk of losing the attention span of, and the motivation and the concentration of some learners. But it sounds difficult, but going back to the three-layer example, once I have one, I just copy and paste it a couple times, and then I just edit it. So, for example, if I make if I want to make it easier, all the acronyms I'll just spell out and explain. I may put uh, rollovers on some definitions where they can actually get the definition of something. And if you've been with the company for a while and you know all this stuff, you stay on the intermediate level. But if you're a brand new hire, you slow down and you get the explanations. On the advanced one, I may cut out, I may delete actually a lot of the content from it and come right to, you know, the, this feature is best to use for throw out a challenge. Okay, give them feedback on the challenge. If you know you're really hot stuff and you you notice know stuff, I don't have to explain everything. It's uh, you know, give me two different select two different ways that this can yeah. be used. So you're and, so you might have you know, maybe three screens for them instead of just one screen, whereas the other ones just get one screen or does everybody get one screen? Uh, no, you, you have total, the designer has total flexibility. So you, you can put uh, a lot more content on, you know, one layer than you would put on another layer. A lot, you know, you, you could switch it up to, as a matter of fact, we're talking about content now, but let's say you were dealing with different learning styles. So I'll have, I'll have one layer throughout the course dedicated to text. I'll have another layer that has the exact, exact same text, but in a video format. So there's, so, there's a SME actually discussing it and explaining it. Then I'll have another layer that has uh, engagements and interactions on it. So it's a, you try this out and you see if you, see if you could you know, find the right combination. And, and every time they click, they're going to get feedback. This is not right. And this is why it's not right. And they learn by experimenting. And, and it's not limited to three. You could, you could have you know, more layers than just three. But uh, I'm going to say a word and, let, and you can give me your response. Deadlines. And my response is quality. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's... That's a challenge in any company. 
Do I need to, if, I, if I'm rushing to make a deadline, quality drugs. If I, if, if I want higher return on investment and more results. So for example, if I'm, doing if I'm doing sales training, the ultimate goal of sales training is to increase sales and generate money. So if you, have, if you have to give me more time and pay me more money to get better sales training, I'm going to bring you back more sales. You know, what or do you think? Or if you have to give me an assistant of asking somebody and double up on my staff, what level are you? Okay, I'm going to get you throughout. more sales. Just start everybody at the medium level. The then based on their responses, shoot them up or down in the background. Now, with, what's interesting about that is it's reactive. Okay, until the, the learner does something and some data has been accumulated, yeah. uh, the decision-making mechanisms can't make any decision as to how to change the course of the content. There's no re recommendations to make. But the only what thing I you're do, deciding is what to present next. Right. There's yeah. only one decision being made. Right. So what I do is I don't make any decisions beforehand. It's I put the power in the hands of the learner and let them choose what they want. So, for example, if uh, if I'm going along nice and smooth with the course, and someone comes in and asks me a question that really like, gee, I never really thought about that, and now I've got a, to a totally different mindset because that's never been detected by the by the system that's monitoring it no one's going to, the system's not going to know that my mindset has changed and my needs have changed. Whereas if I also always provide options for the learner, I could say, hmm, I never thought about that. All right, let me click on this and, and see if I can figure out the answer. So for example, after I developed this for a number of years after I developed this process, the learning, the learning intelligence model, I came across the cognitive flexibility theory. And I was like, instant love okay you know my long lost soulmate okay is a theory that perfectly matched what i was doing yeah and uh, basically well, what, tell us about the theory i have not uh, sure what, the, what the, the theory is nonlinear, which which definitely is the way i'm programming things it's uh, using hyperlinks to different types of content and it's used frequently in legal and medical situations where the situation, both in a legal situation and in medical situation, it's not two plus two equals four, yeah. okay? It's the law is affected by the context and, and the situation, and there's a lot of variable factors. So in, 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 in order to really understand a legal concept or in, or in, in order to really understand a medical diagnosis. I mean, factors like age and weight and prior health, there's so many different factors that have to be yeah. considered. So to have a linear course and say, this is the diagnosis, this is the, le the, legal, the, le the legal law. And in instead of just saying that simply, which it can't be reduced to such a simple one, there's a lot of things you can click on. Okay, how would this apply if someone is over 70? How would this apply if someone is overweight? How would this apply if it's a child? And after the, after the medical student clicks on as many as he or she wants to, yeah. finally, eventually, the light bulb goes off. Ah, I'm sensing this common denominator. I'm beginning to understand situations that might affect it. 
And even if I don't click on every single variation, because no one doctor memorizes everything, in real life practice, the doctor can then say, I understand that there's a lot of different factors. Let me look up you know, with this particular factor. You've got a fever. You know, how might this change my diagnosis here? Okay, the doctor's aware of the, under, on the, of the underlying possible medical condition, un, uh, aware of the possible ways external factors can influence it. And that kind of awareness isn't taught in a linear fashion, read this, read this, read that, <laughs> all right? So I build courses that have that kind of flexibility. So for example, in a demo course that I created that for people to learn about learner intelligence, I've got five different ways to look at the exact same content that I'm talking about. You can learn at it from a instructional designer's point of view. You can look at it from a programmer's point of view, from a manager's point of view, from a CEO point of view, because you know each person is going to look at adaptive training, personalized learning with a, from a different stakeholder perspective. Yeah. And if I'm a developer, I want to learn the instructional design point of view and also the, the developer point of view. But if I've got to sell my manager on it, I want to know it about what's in it for my manager. And if I know my manager has to sell it to executive level, I want to know what the, what the executive level, what their hotspots are. So I may want to explore all those levels. And it's interesting when I track results of people who have taken the demo course, I can see there's a bunch of learners that have a lot of things in common. Oh, I'm just testing this out. I'll just click next, 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 and go through it. And yeah. they're instructional designers. So they look at that and nothing else. But then I see there are so many others that will do instructional designer and, and develop and programmer. So I know that they've got a little more knowledge of yeah. variables and, and they want to know the ins and outs. And then I see some are clicking on the management level or the CEO level, and some are, are clicking on everything. They like a sponge. They want to yeah. know every single possible thing about this so they, so they can know it inside and out. So let me ask you some of, some of my other standard questions. What did you want to be when you grew up? At what point in life? I'm still growing up. When you were, oh, well, <laughs> when you were a kid. When I was a kid, I probably thought I'd be into, I love science fiction. So I probably thought I'd go into the science field and I actually didn't. I actually you know, went into math and psychology. <laughs> you know. And where did you grow up? I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up most of my younger life on Long Island. And then get, moved down here to Florida. And how did you get into instructional design? It seems like teaching is in my blood. For example, I've taught people how to dance. I've taught people how to cook. It's like, if I know something, I can teach it. And since I know a lot of technology, I gravitate. I had a computer store for a while and yeah. I taught in my computer oh. store. And, and then I look for jobs where I could teach people how to use the Microsoft Office Suite and, and how to do some basic programming and stuff yeah. like that. And basically that really put me into corporate training. And then I segued from that to online training. And you did a master's in uh, instructional or in instructional yes, design yeah. and technology. When yes. was that? At what point did you do that? I did that 
when I was well into, when I was already developing online training. It's Johnson Controls had a tuition program after I worked there for a year. So this would be probably 16 and 17. Uh, I, I did that. Yeah. Did, did it help? It's where I found out about the cognitive flexibility theories that I was like a woohoo, but it was, it was, it was so frustrating. It's like enough with the talk, enough with the theory. When are we going to do stuff? That's where I'm really going to shine. And the instructors didn't know a clue on how to do this yeah, stuff. Yeah. They just know how to, knew how to teach the theory. <laughs> I, the program I did as a Sheridan college, there's a guy who, uh, Bob Jones, I'll shout out to him. He did the uh, two-year educational technology at um, master's at Concordia University. And he felt the same way you did. And so he developed a one-year community college course version of the same thing where we had a lot of hands-on. <laughs> and that well, that's, I'm, I'm actually toying with that also, not only yeah. training on adaptive design, which is high-end, but also does that you know, training on basic instructional designers for new people in the industry. It's, you know, theory is great. I'm not saying don't get a college degree. It's definitely fine. And there's a lot of, a lot of the, it fills in a lot of cracks that an instructional designer should know. But if you want to fast track and, and actually you know, develop skills, it's like, there's no, there's no other way around it than actually being side by side with, with a veteran who's done it and have him assess your skills and challenge you and be there to support you. And I've done a number of coaching sessions with students like that. I'm yeah. just thinking maybe I should formalize a program and make it available. Yeah. And then my final standard question, what do you do uh, to keep sane when you're not working? <laughs> I watch movies. It's like one of the things that I do each night after a, a long day of, of, of using the brain is I want to turn something on and I don't want things popping up on the TV screen where I put in my opinion, where I chat with others. This is mindless dead stuff, okay? Give me a gun. I'm out there saving the world. I'm in a spaceship. I'm in, back in an old Western riding a horse. It's like, I don't have to think about anything. And I love being the hero at the end of the day that gets the girl that saves the world. You know, that's my way of relaxing and unwinding. <laughs> all right. So if I'm going to put this all together, there's one last thing we have to do. It's uh, a 10 question survey that I stole from the actor studio TV show. Did you ever see that? No. He interviewed uh, James Levine interviewed um, some famous actor who graduated from the actor studio in New York and then became famous. And then he comes back and in front of the whole student body, they have a little interview and he asks these 10 questions at the end. So you want to go quickly go through them? Okay. Why not? If the audience right. laughs at me, that's, that's cool. I could take it. <laughs> what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's might as well right. make it a big one, right? <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Least favorite word? Failure. Failure is not an option. <laughs> it turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Spiritually, you know, my faith as a Christian is, I mean, really, I don't understand how people deal with some of the challenges in life without a strong faith. So, you know, that's a blessing in my life. What turns you off? About what? 
creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? It turns me off. Closed-minded people that just won't even discuss another way of doing things. It's like, whatever, I throw my hands up, it's end of conversation. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? You're going to tell me you don't curse. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> I can say uh, that on air, right? Oh, you can shoot. say it. We're in a podcast. You can say anything. Oh, shoot. Did I just do this? <laughs> the funny thing here is, if I have time, Yeah. growing up as a young boy, I idolized my father, as many young boys who have fathers do. And we went to pick up uh, my father. I want my father to the, to the garage to pick up the car after being repaired. Right. And we, when he heard the bill, it was the first time I saw my father get upset. The first time I heard my father curse, and I was like, whoa, that was an eye opener. <laughs> yeah. No, my dad, uh, my parents also didn't curse, but uh, my dad had, a, they had a friend who died in her 50s or something from cancer. That's the first time I heard him say shit. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah, when the first time, you know, now my kids have heard me swear since they were really little. <laughs> so there's nothing, there's nothing, no surprise there, no shock and value left. <laughs> um, what sound or noise do you love? What sound annoys me? Now, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, what sound or noise do I love? I guess the sound of the ocean. I'm here in Florida, so nice, soothing sound of the ocean. Mm -hmm. What sound or noise do you hate? High-pitched, squeaky voices. It's like I've known a couple of people who shall remain nameless that it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like, do I have, do I have to listen to this for another minute? <laughs> Are you a big fan of Nanny on TV? <laughs> never saw this show. Never saw. Sorry. Okay. Apologies. I'm, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your, sorry, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I give you two. One, I wouldn't mind owning a little coffee shop or something like that, a little, a little lunch place. I love being creative and cooking is another avenue where I get to be creative. But then looking into the future, I thought, you know, robotics are going to be big and seniors, the senior population is getting bigger and bigger. I wouldn't mind owning a store that sold assistive robots that could assist an elderly person living in the store. That would be cool. I would enjoy that. Oh, this is number nine. What profession would you not like to do? What I would not like to do? Selling insurance. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> you know, a lot of my family got into that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you're good they at got it, in, it's great. <laughs> they got into it as second professions kind of thing. I mm -hmm. think a lot of people do because you don't need a lot of background. You just need sort of, you have to be desperate for money and you have to have a little bit of sales yeah. savvy. Uh, and finally, uh, the heaven question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done, faithful servant. It's like, wow. I mean, <laughs> that's from Matthew or something, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well that's done, it. good and faithful servant. Yeah. So it's great. It's really nice meeting you. And uh, you too. I had fun and I had checked out you know, your blog and stuff like that. And it's like, this guy is an intelligent <clears> guy. He's got some good ideas. So when we, you reached out to me on LinkedIn, I go, sure, let's meet. 
good luck with your work. I've had a couple the of... The ID Fanatic podcast drops every Tuesday at noon. I invite you to join my LinkedIn page, ID Fanatic, for updates, the blog, and links to many free online events of interest to instructional designers. I myself will be speaking at the Learning Guild Conference in Orlando in November, Learning 2021. So I hope to meet some of you there. I also invite you to subscribe where you get your podcasts and leave a review on Apple or Podbean. It really helps the show. You can contact me, Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn, and I hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye, bye, bye.